On today's episode, we're asking kind of a funny question. Are your good money habits actually holding you back? It's a bit counterintuitive, uh, but we're going to question the real impact of common financial habits and find out if these strategies that you consider beneficial are actually working in your favor. We're going to explore the cons and the pros of practices like ignoring account statements and following strict budgets. We're going to have a great discussion as we try to uncover some of the unexpected effects of everyday money decisions. Are your good money habits holding your back? Find out on today's episode. It's time for Reengineering Your Finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Walter Storholt back with Charles Weldy once again, founder of CP Weldy Group, certified financial planner and a CPA. Find us online at cpweldygroup.com if you need help preparing for retirement and your financial future. Charles, you ready for another great episode today, my friend? Absolutely, Walter. All right. I think this should be a good one. A, a, a bit surprising, a bit counterintuitive, like, oh, I have a good money habit. Eh, is it holding you back? What? Well, how, why would it be a good habit then if it was holding <laughs> me back? Uh, so I'm, I'm really interested to get your thoughts as we work through. We've got uh, six different habits to discuss on today's show to see if they are good ones to continue or if they're worth maybe a second thought. All right. So the first one is ignoring account statements. All right, so if somebody's like coming to meet with you, Charles, and they're like, you know what, I don't even, I don't even look at my account statements. I'm not worried about the the ups and downs of it, so I just ignore it completely. Where's the wisdom, and also maybe the folly in that approach? Well, I think the wisdom is, um, you know, short term unknowable, long term inevitable right, when it comes to account statements. So if you're looking at them every month, you know, you know, I think it's way too much. If you're looking at them every quarter, uh, that's probably a little bit better than looking at them every month. Uh, if you're just looking at them once a year, it might be a little bit too long. So I think there's kind of like a fine line. I mean, here in the financial services industry, we're required to send out statements every 90 days. And, you know, even though I said earlier in the conversation, 90 days is fine to look at, sometimes I think 90 days is too short a period because, you know, short-term, unknowable, long-term, inevitable. And, you know, we preach to our clients like, hey, you know, take the long-term approach. But if you get a report card every 90 days, I mean, you know, it's counterintuitive. You're kind of telling them to look at it every 90 days. So uh, I, I definitely don't think like every month you should look at your statements. I think once a quarter is probably, you know, okay. Uh, semi-annually, not a bad you know, idea. Once a year, absolutely. But, um, you know, portfolio adjustments can wait, you know, at least like, you know, 90 days to a half a year. And, you know, monthly adjustments and you know, all these emotions, whether the market's up, down, or sideways, can be avoided by not looking at them like on a monthly basis. So I'm not saying totally ignore them, but, you know, don't wait for those statements to come in the mail or download them from the internet on a monthly basis. It really is meaningless month to month to month. So the, this one's more of a balance, right? The good money habit is to check those account statements from time to time, but don't get so so wrapped up in it to where you're living and dying with every single one that comes out and also not sticking them in the drawer and never looking at them. Just find find a balance here. Exactly. Okay. Might be a theme with a few of the others that we have on the list today, but let's go to the next one. Keeping a strict budget. Anybody who keeps a strict budget is probably going to brag about how good their budgeting system and practices and what their Excel spreadsheet looks like. And I'll be honest, I envy people who can live on a good budget. My my own personal method's a little bit more loosey-goosey. I tend to just make sure that everything gets paid first 
and then whatever's less left over is just whatever happens to it happens to it. So, right. yeah. you know, I, I still do a good job, I think, of saving for retirement and short-term goals because I'm just I'm parceling those things out to begin with. I guess that's part of the budget. But in terms of like eating out and groceries, and I'm certainly not very strict on that side of the equation. But I kind of view it as okay because it's all happening with what's left over after all the important stuff's taken care of. Um, but what, what about people who live with a strict budget? Good habit, it sounds like, on the surface, but are there some pros and cons? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really like the word strict. I mean, you know, I like a flexible budget. You know, there's always like, you know, life gets in the way, blah, blah, blah. So uh, a strict budget means like, hey, and the word budget is uh, is, is kind of like, you know, restrictive. I, I kind of like, you know, uh, a savings plan, an investment plan, a spending plan. You know, for the most part, you know, a budget will help you achieve your goals because you know what's coming in, you know where it's going, you know what's left over. But by and large, um, you know, I find, you know, some people in retirement, they have enough money, but they're not spending it because they're afraid of running out of money. And they're actually like shortchanging their retirement. Um, you know, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Tom Hegner that says, hey, when you're in your 70s, it's your go-go years. Go out and like spend your money, have a good time. Now you're in your 80s, your slow-go years. Hey, you're slowing down. You, you've been there, you've done that. You know, maybe the body's not working like it used to work, at, you know, in your 70s. And 90s, your no-go years. I mean, you're just laying around like, you know, waiting, you know, for the grim reaper, so to speak. So my point is that, you know, with a strict budget, you know, you might not, you know, allow yourself the opportunity to travel, to like see the world, to like enjoy, you know, the, the fruits of your labor. So I'm big on like flexible budgets. Like I like to make that vacation fund or that entertainment fund, like buff it up a little bit. And in the event that you don't spend it, fine. But like, you know, why did you make all this money and put it away and not, you know, want to spend it? I mean, one of the greatest gifts a financial advisor can give a client in retirement is the okay to spend their well-earned money. So um, a strict budget, you know, we all should have a budget, but I think flexible is, is really the word uh, that I would use. Have some compassion for yourself, you know, know that if you do have enough money, and there's a formula for that, um, know that you can go out and, you know, gift while you're living, you know, uh, spend money, you know, on yourself and your family, going to places that, you know, you deserve to go to, you know, you can't take it with you. So uh, I, I remember the words of Ed Slott, um, you know, he's like an IRA guru. He says it's better to gift with warm hands and cold hands. And uh, if you've accumulated enough and, you know, a lot of people have, uh, you know, it might be better to just spend it and gift it while you're alive rather than just waiting for the grim reaper to come. That's a good point there. Yeah, absolutely. So like your approach, let's uh, let's not embrace that word strict so much and, and leave flexibility, not only in budgeting, but a lot of the different parts of planning. That's a really good thing to keep in mind. All right. Another area that we see as a good financial habit on the surface, but might have more to the discussion underneath is patients getting into the stock market. Some people are just really want to triple check everything, really want to make sure they're ready before they get into the stock market. And so uh, is that hesitancy a, a good thing, that caution? Uh, is that okay? Or can that actually bite some people? Uh, you know what? I mean, again, I get back to that phrase, uh, Nick Murray. It's a Nick Murray phrase. He's a New York financial planner, kind of a guru in the industry. He says short-term unknowable, so you don't know what's going to happen short-term in the stock market. But long-term, it's inevitable that because of the volatility, you're going to make more than you would have made if you just like played it safe. So you know, think about it. If you won the lottery tomorrow and you had a big lump sum, just say you had you know $5 million dollars. Would you put it in all at once or would you just like put it in gradually over time? 
And, and that's like kind of like, you know, there's no right answer there, but in my humble opinion, if it wasn't needed for short term, I would put it all in. Why? Because long term, if history's any guide, you're gonna make more money by being in the stock market than you are being in anything else. So uh, that, that's really like, in, in my humble opinion, critical. You know, but if you need money for an upcoming wedding, obviously pull that money aside, put it in a cash account, you know, so you make sure you pay the band at the wedding. Uh, what else, uh, you know, uh, just thinking out loud, if, if you need that money for a 25, 30 year retirement, put it in the stock market, because guess what? You know, you got some time for it to grow and the volatility is your friend, not your, not your foe. The volatility is what gives you that premium return over time. So, um, you know, patients getting in the stock market, you know, I think most people procrastinate and I think most people let their emotions get the best of them. And I've seen when I do cases, you know, financial plans that people that aren't going to retire for 10, 15 years uh, have money in their 401k or they have money in their IRA that's in a cash account because they're concerned about whether the market's going to go down next month or next year. And I think it's foolish. I mean, you know, again, if it's, you know, your time horizon is, you know, a 25, 30 year retirement, you need that money in the stock market and anything short of putting it in sooner rather than later, I think is a, is a fault. Yeah, like that perspective as well. All right, here's another one for you, Charles. Paying off debt early. Uh, come on, you can't find any fault with that one, right? Well, you know what? I think it's a personal choice. I mean, I have people that, uh, Charles, I, I don't want any debt, you know, and like, you know, how can I argue with that? You know, maybe they're taught by their parents. Debt is bad. Maybe their parents grew up in the Depression. You know, who am I to tell them, that, hey, you know what? You shouldn't pay off your debt. You should invest in XYZ company. Uh, but here's the thing, you know, and I'll just tell you a recent story. Like I just bought a, an, a, an SUV probably about two, three weeks ago, and I could have paid cash. You know, uh, it was like round numbers, 55 grand. So what I chose to do is I put half down and I got a five year loan for the other half. Why? Well, you know, the, the interest rate on the loan was 2.9 percent. And, you know, today I think I can make, you know, greater than like 3% on investments. So that was my personal choice. But paying off debt early is, is, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, it really depends on a person's relationship with debt. But I will say this, you know, now that we're speaking about debt, probably the biggest debt people have, Walter, that they're not even aware of is the debt on their IRA or their 401k. And what I mean by that is they might have a million dollars in their IRA, but is it really all their money? No. When they start taking it out, they're going to have to pay a debt to the IRS, and that debt is whatever their tax rate is. So paying off debt early, you know, is a personal choice. Some people, you know, just don't like debt, and some people uh, can live with debt, you know. Uh, so I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's a personal choice. Uh, I would just lean to like, hey, you know what, I I'm okay with good debt, you know, a mortgage that has a low interest rate, a car loan that, you know, maybe I can make a higher rate of return with not any additional risk. But, you know, if uh, a client comes in to me and says, Charles, you know, I want to buy a new car for $55,000, $60,000, I want to pay cash, I, I have no argument with them. They can do whatever they want. I think it's a personal choice. All right. Good point. So far, again, we're talking about some of these things that are good money habits, but that they could be holding you back in certain ways. We've got two more to cover on the show today. The next one is global diversification. What are the pros and cons? Thought diversification was pretty much always a good thing, but uh, folly here as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I think diver like 
I just read an article. I don't know what the top five or seven stocks are, but like Facebook and you know Google, blah blah blah. You would have made I don't know what the number is, but let's just say you would have made like thirty five percent last year if you just own those like five to seven stocks. But most people are diversified. They didn't make anywhere near that. All right. So you would think on the surface, like oh wow, if I just own those five to seven stocks, I would have made X amount of uh, you know gain, and I only made like you know one third of that being in a diversified portfolio. But I think with diversification, the good outweighs the bad. What I mean by that is, we never know whether growth is in favor or value is in favor in terms of investing. We don't know whether large companies over time will beat small companies or small companies will outperform large companies. We don't know whether the, the, the U.S. market's going to do well this year or the international markets and emerging markets will do better next year. We, we have no clue of that. So if we have a little piece of everything, I, I think, you know, yeah, we won't make a killing in our investments, but we won't get killed. Right. And I think realistically, uh, yeah, on the short term, when we're diversified, we are suppressing our, you know, returns, right? Because volatility, you know, uh, is is out there, and the purpose of diversification is to really like lower our volatility. And in the short term, that's fine, but in the long term, being diversified, I don't think you're really giving much up in the long term because all things revert to the mean, so to speak. So, you know, we're still going to earn the full returns of the stock market long term with diversification, but short term, we're probably going to give up some short term gains and short term losses because, yeah, you know, uh, we're underperforming the market because we don't have those seven, those five to seven great stocks as a major component. We've got 3000 stocks that are all over the place. So, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, diversification is really key. uh, And I think, um, you know, short term, you'll probably not, you know, get the returns that you think you should get, but long-term, you're going to get what the market does, and you'll be, and you'll be more disciplined and less emotionally involved. Uh, and that's the benefit of diversification. Okay, very good. Last one here, Charles. Is patience making financial decisions and building a plan? You've been able to find the good and bad in everything so far. So uh, one more challenge for you on this one. Well, I mean, patience is a virtue, but, you know, when patience leads to procrastination, it's not a virtue. I mean, too much information, people get paralyzed. I had some recent, um, I guess, like meetings with uh, engineers, right? And engineers, they could be your biggest nightmare or your greatest client, depending upon how they, they react to certain things. But most of the engineers that I know, they just like, they, 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 they want so much information that they get paralyzed in, in making a decision. Uh, and I think that, you know, realistically, uh, if they just got a plan done, right, and, and the formula for the plan is like, hey, what are your goals? Uh, you know, let's get a plan to actually see how we can, like, realize those goals. And then let's look at your portfolio and fund it properly so that you'll realize those goals. So the formula, again, goals, plan, portfolio. Uh, if people just follow that formula, uh, and got rid of like 90% of the information, they wouldn't be like paralyzed by all this information. They would see like, hey, guess what? I have an emergency fund. I have access to cash for the next three to five to seven years in the event the market goes down. I have money earmarked for long-term growth. I'm going to be fine. Um, so, you know, patience, you know, is a virtue, but I think it can really like paralyze you if you're not cautious. 
Great points across the board. All right, Charles, thanks for filling us in on your thoughts on these good habits. So did you hear one on today's show, folks, where you kind of thought, huh, yeah, I I maybe am a bit too strict when it comes to budgeting or I'm not looking at those account statements often enough, or maybe I'm checking them and obsessing over them too much in the ups and downs and the whims. Maybe it's one of the other topics we discuss that you notice perhaps just a, a different approach that should be taken in retirement planning. Hopefully that was educational for you and helpful to guide you along the way. If you've got more specific questions for Charles or want to talk about putting together your own financial and retirement plan, one that will help you with keeping all of these things in the proper perspective, don't hesitate to reach out. You can do that, and you can reach Charles very easily by picking up the phone and calling 610-388-7705. That's 610-388-7705. Or by going online to cpweldygroup.com. That's cpweldygroup.com. Charles, thanks for all the help on the episode today. Enjoyed the insight, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Walter. All right, take care. That's Charles Weldy. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to everybody next time right back here on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Ohio. CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice. Insurance and tax services offered through CP Weldy Group are not affiliated with PCA. Information received from this podcast should not be viewed as individual investment advice. Product discussions and illustrations are hypothetical in nature and will vary based on many factors, including but not limited to age, health, product, insurance carrier, and product design. You should consult the insurance carrier website and policy for detailed information. Content may have been created by a third party and was not written or created by a PCA-affiliated advisor and does not represent the views or opinions of PCA or its subsidiaries. For information pertaining to the registration status of PCA, please contact the firm or refer to the Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website, www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For additional information about PCA, including fees and services, send for our disclosure statement as set forth on Form ADV from PCA using the contact information herein. Please read the disclosure statement carefully before you invest or send money.